dismiss our kids to kids sitting. We have train workers at the door waiting for the kids. And so uh, if you have some children, uh, Nicole over here will get them to uh, Kid City, which is down the hall, and then after the service, you can pick them up right around the corner. So, uh, good morning, everybody. Good morning. morning. All right. Yeah, sleepy crowd this morning. It's such a nice day. Did you exhaust yourself from the sun yesterday? Yeah. (laughs) So, good morning. My name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here, along with Mike, um, uh, and just want to say welcome to Trinity Life, especially if this is your first time, or maybe second time, or third time, or uh, or, you know, you're just kind of like maybe uh, checking out church for the, uh, for the first time in a long time. Uh, just thanks for making this a part of your week and your weekend. Um, and uh, really excited. We're a newer church. We started about two years ago. And uh, I'm really excited about actually the series that we're getting ready to jump in. Because I know a lot of you guys who are, who've been attending the church for a couple of months and you're trying to figure out, well, what's the next step? And so this is actually a great time to, to really figure out what's the next step for you at the church. And uh, because for over the next couple of months... We're going to use this series, The Art of Finding Joy, to really help us figure out what does it look like to process truth, the truth of reality around us in the midst of community. And so over the next three to four months, uh, we're going to take the book of Philippians and we're going to walk through it and talk about its major theme. The major theme in in Philippians is joy and how uh, the Apostle Paul perceived like joy in the midst of his circumstances. And so uh, when you think about Toronto, you think about the values of Toronto, primarily you think about, like, what do you think about? The values, diversity, success, competition, equality, hockey, hockey, yeah, although we're not a winning team, you know, Um, but you think about these, these are the values of our city, but would you ever think of joy? And the curious thing is about at least the first century church was that it was not marked by some of our, our kind of like conditions, it wasn't marked by stress or anxiety, the key features of the First Testament church, they were marked by generosity and joy. Um, so our dream for Trinity Life as a church, like if you say, oh, what's your dream? Like, what's your overall vision? What do you want to be? Our dream for Trinity Life Church is in the city, we really want to be like an oasis, an alternate family for people in Toronto. We want to be a place where you can actually come and receive joy, right? And so joy doesn't always mean being happy. But there's a sense of which there's a sense of optimism about life because there's something greater, good that, uh, a greater good that's happening in your life, and so that's what we want to be. As a matter of fact, it's an Acts two vision, and so um, Acts two talks about the birth of the original church, and so the Acts two vision is this: that the, although the original church had no building, in which we would like a building, we're not against building. Although the original church didn't have a building, they had each other. They had each other, and so what they did was they actually devoted themselves to one another. They had community. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. They, they saw things as extravagant as miracles and healings, all right? For you scientifically-minded people, they saw things that were like, whoa, the only way to explain that is miracles. But they were content with actually just sharing meals and just sharing life together, right? They saw the big stuff, but they were just happy. On Wednesday night, they'd come over and have meals with each other, and that was great for them, too. They shared stuff. They shared life among one another, all right? They sacrificed uh, for each other. They worshiped shamelessly. I'm just going through the different features that are listed in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. They worshiped shamelessly. And for some reason, still, they remain relevant to the public at large, and they won favor, it says, that even though they were like these shameless worshipers of Jesus, from the public point of view, they were still... Like, wow, 
people were like, yeah, we should trust them. And so the neat thing was in the midst of this pluralistic society and the society that had all these different belief systems and all these different religions, in the midst of all that, in book of, uh, uh, the book of Acts, it says that God gave them revival and God added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. So the church grew, the church multiplied. And so the dream of Trinity Life is God do that in our time. Like let us be a part of that. Like, it can happen in other places, and we want it to happen in other places, but let us, let, give us a glimpse of that kind of community, that, that kind of oasis, that alternate family in a city like Toronto. So the book of Philippians, actually, is the continuation of the growth of the church, okay? Uh, uh, in case you didn't know, Philippians is the first church ever started on European soil, right? It's the first European church. And so it's really interesting. If you go to a map and you pull up Greece, you'll still see the city of Philippoi. I think I'm pronouncing that. And Molly, you did great, by the way. Uh, those are some challenging cities. So the city of Philippoi, Philippe, Philippoi, uh, help me, Dr. Mike. Mike's got a PhD in uh, this stuff, so uh, it's, it's, I don't know, C minus. Um, it's still a city in Greece today. It's the first European church. The ruins of that city still exist today. And today, a little bit later, um, we're going to have a special offering uh, for um, the House of uh, Prayer Milton. It's a church that we're helping to plant in the GTA. And it's being led by uh, Yusuf and Jacqueline Massa. They were, we haven't, we haven't given the full story, but Joseph and Yusuf Ma- uh, Massa, th- uh, they are from Pakistan. And uh, they were doing ministry in Pakistan, and um, her brother, Jacqueline's brother, was a member of parliament. Um, and I don't, I'll be honest with you, I don't know how public the story is, so we'll figure out if we need to edit, stuff like that. But so her, uh, her brother was, um, he was assassinated, and so they had to flee the country, and it was because of their faith. And so they came to Canada four years ago. So they had to start new. They had to go to school. I mean, they had to um, learn how to do things here in the West. You know, they had to weather the snow. And so, uh, but in the midst of kind of like working, she was, uh, I think, in physio, or he was, a, he was a nurse, and she was in some kind of physio treatment. Uh, they began to feel the stirring again to be a part of ministry here in Toronto. So for the last year and a half, two years, they've been trying to discern that. And then we met them, and we're like, hey, we love Pakistanis, and we want to we help uh, reach people here in Toronto, and so we want to help you guys. And so they're currently in the midst of trying to move from Brampton to Milton, uh, which is a, a city that's growing and it's exploding with uh, diversity. And so we've, we've decided as a church that we want to help you guys um, be the church that God's called you to be in Milton. So a little bit later today, uh, we're going to take an offering that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. And if, if, you're, if you're prepared for that, uh, Trinity Life Church, um, you can just write on your check or your envelope, this is for House of um, Prayer Milton. Um, and so we ask that, you know, you give over and beyond your, your regular giving. And this is a way in which we're going to be able to bless the GTA uh, through church planning. But that's exactly what's happening here in the book of Philippians. Uh, that's exactly what's happened here in Acts 16, is Paul is actually a church planter, and he's uh, planting churches, and he's diverted from Asia. By the way, plug in, I mean, this is, you know, the first churches were Asian. Uh, so so he, it went from Asia and then to Europe, um, and, uh, but it was in the midst of a frustrating situation. As a matter of fact, I would like to call Paul our joy artist. By the way, isn't the posters like really sweet looking? Andrea, Andrea, she did all that stuff by hand. Like so, Andrea, where are you? 
you're so good. Is she in the nursery? So she did it all of that by hand. So I like to call Paul our joy artist. And there's a passage in Philippians that we'll be studying later on in the series. But I want to pull it out right now. Because this is how you know that he knows how to, to architect joy in his life. He says this in Philippians chapter 4. He says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And I can do all things through him, Christ, who strengthens me. You see, it didn't matter how difficult Paul's circumstances were. It didn't matter what he was facing. He knew the secret to architecting joy in his life, right? And so the reality is that if you look at this passage here, Paul is actually in the midst of a frustrating experience. Well, we're going to walk through some of the passages together. But it was very frustrating for him. His job was to preach the gospel, to plant churches, and to raise up leaders, and then go on and do the next thing. What you actually see in this passage here that was read is that he goes for months, and he doesn't do any of that stuff. It's actually pretty disheartening. He's been doing this for months, and nothing's happening. No opportunity, right? Um, I won't take a survey, but how many of you guys are without a job right now? Don't raise your hand. But I know some of you are. Yeah, Justin Rose's hand. <laughs> yeah, boy, you need to get to work, boy. <laughs> Justin's my son. Yeah. If you need a 15-year-old to rake your, uh, or shovel your snow, right there. You know, jobless, struggling with work. The Apostle Paul knew about that. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul knew about moving from a smaller city and going to a bigger city for greater opportunity and sitting on his butt for several months and not being able to accomplish that. That was the story of the Apostle Paul. He went 800 kilometers from where he was at in Antioch, which ironically is uh, modern-day Syria. And he went from there to this, Asia, this portion in Asia Minor, 800 kilometers away, to sit on his, you know, to, 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 to do nothing for several, several months. It was frustrating for him. Anybody relate to that? Right. Very frustrating. I've shared before that I was unemployed for seven months. I get it. It's like, you're like, God, I'm faithful. I'm ready. Pass me the ball. And you don't get the ball. It's a very frustrating experience. So this morning, I want to talk about one thing. I want to talk about ruined plans. How ruined plans actually often are what, what I would say, it's a joy thief. It's a joy robber. When your plans are ruined, all right? You plan, you strategize, you prepare, and the moment you execute, your plans fall through. The offer doesn't come in. Somebody gets sick. The finances aren't there. You can't rely on a person. You don't get the approval. You ever experienced this before? All right. Well, how does this work? Uh, This is, is, why is it so disappointing? And a part of it is because our idea of good, the way that we define good, that was good, that happened, was that we actually expect certain levels of result, and we plan towards it. And if we accomplish what we have planned, then that's good, right? Is that, that, I mean, that's plan A. That's plan A, right? And so what happens is that when you plan, and you're going towards that good, and that's your degree, and you're studying that, and that's the book that you've been reading, and you're hoping for that, or that's the way that you've been planning your life, and the guy that you want to marry, and you're hoping for that, and plan A, and plan B, and plan C, and plan D, and plan E, and plan F doesn't work for you, and you're like, all right, I'll take plan G. As long as he's got a pulse, I'll take him. <laughs> Even plan G doesn't work for you, right? So you've defined good in terms of reaching a result or a goal. And when you don't reach it, 
then you don't have the optimism, optimism that good is available to you still, right? Um, the way that I've experienced it in the past is because my plan A didn't happen, I just feel like life is foggy now. It's just like it's a haze. Like I, it's hard for me to see the future because my plan A is ruined, right? So can I do a little bit of public therapy this morning with you guys? All right. Um, I've talked about this story several times before. At the sake of, like, boring you, I want to share it again. But every time I share, every time I heal, all right? So therapy, okay. Uh, But one of my life-defining moments happened seven years ago uh, when I tried to plan a church in Detroit. And so I had a plan. uh, And if you know me, I am a planner. We're doing a training uh, tonight with our leaders, and I have 24 pages that I'm going to train you leaders in tonight because I love to strategize. (laughs) Don't be scared. Come tonight, 3 o'clock. Um, and so uh, I love planning, had a team, had finances in order, I quit my job, ready to go. Me and Linda went to get um, a, an assessment done on our life and marriage, and they said, not yet. And so um, it was hard for us. It wasn't skill, it wasn't ability, it was heart, and it was um, timing that they had issues with. And so um, although uh, when we first received the news, it was good for us, Eventually, a couple of days afterwards, I thought, uh, I I fell into like this depression. Because when they said that you're not approved yet to plant a church in Detroit, I heard them say, we're not approved of you, right? And so it was just such a hard thing for me to process. As a matter of fact, it was very traumatic, right? I I didn't execute my plan. And if you're type A, that's very difficult when you don't execute a plan, right? Because you put so much energy into it. It was very traumatic for me. Like, uh, and Mike can attest to it. Because sometimes Mike and I will talk. And I'm like, I still think there's something there that I need to work through. <laughs> okay, this is like therapy. Okay. And so there are, some, there are some moments in my life where something will happen. It'll trigger what I felt seven years ago. Right? As a matter of fact, researchers of psychology say that the best indicator for mental illness and mood disorders is childhood trauma. I'm not an expert in this. I just read a couple of books, but that's what they say. It's childhood trauma. It's things that happen in your past. So what happens is, at the sake of oversimplifying it, what happens is that past traumas actually form strong memories, and these memories actually become the filter through which you understand the world. Right? Does that make sense? And so it actually has this, like, big impact in your life, and it's that that creates, like, the glasses or the filter that you actually begin to look at, look at situations and interpret people. And so if you're a paranoid person, probably something happened in the past that caused you to be paranoid, and that's how you look at everything around you, all right? I'm not trying to be your therapist, um, but I'm just saying, like, this is, this is a way to understand why some people have a difficult time experiencing uh, joy in their life. And so those memories tell your brain what's the real story, what's actually happening out there. That's the real story, right? That's how you should interpret everything. And so what happens is that most of us, most of us live out of a story in our head that really isn't real. You're moving and you're dancing to the script that really isn't even written for you. The story in, the, in, in your mind isn't actually the reality of what's going on, going on around you. As a matter of fact, your version of reality probably sounds silly to other people, right? So let me give you um, a statement. 
They can put up here. Hi, my name is Daniel, and I feel like a failure. Walk up to the next person. Hi, hey, my name's Daniel. Big smile inside, but I feel like a failure. And you go on to the next person, and everyone you meet, and you meet somebody, and so you hey, my name's, now you're getting an insight to who I am. Jeez, okay. You meet the next person, you're kind of sizing them up, and you're kind of like, wow, they look successful. I feel like a failure. Now, as I'm sharing this with you guys, and as you're hearing it, and for for those of you guys who are close enough to me, you're probably thinking, that sounds stupid. (laughs) That sounds silly. Do you actually think that way? Jeez, you're not qualified to be our pastor (laughs) if you think that way. That's probably true. Um, But if you walk around, and that's how you feel, and you say, hey, hi, my name is Bob, and I... I don't feel, uh, I don't know, pick your, pick your vice. Like, my name is Bob, and, um, and I just think you're ugly. You know? <laughs> or, hey, my name is Bob, and I just, man, you know, I, I, I really don't like your kind, right? Some traumatic event has caused, like, the way for you to think, it's filtering your reality. And every, that's the story that's playing in your head. But if other people were to hear that story out loud, they'd tell you, that's crazy. That almost sounds stupid. That's not even close to how I perceive you. How, why, why would you? I would never say those things about you. Why would you say those things about yourself, right? Am I the only one that experiences this kind of joy theft? Okay, there's three of us at least. Okay, everybody is fine. Okay, that's fine. Anyways, ending my therapy session right now. Uh, but that's, that's how it works. That's how it often works. It doesn't always have to be the case. But that's how it often works. So, How did Paul, the joy artist, the joy extraordinaire, how did Paul experience joy in the midst of ruined plans? It wasn't a joy pill. He didn't just pop a pill and felt better. Right? So let me give you the overarching theme for uh, today's message at least. So the key, the key to future joy, the key to future joy is to learn how to process with God your past and present experiences and circumstances. The key to the f- future joy is learning how to process what happened and what's happening in the circumstances around you. And you process that with God. In a sense, God therapy. All right, we're going to see how Paul did it. So if, if past trauma influences our kind of our present way of thinking and our present way of like redefining reality, what happens is that with Paul, he consults God. He, he re-understands his situation. He reimagines it to the point where he redeems his situation. He actually circumvents wrong thinking by hearing what God has to say about the situation. All right? So he's unplugging from wrong thinking and plugging it into God's thinking, and he's downloading that. God, what do you think about the situation? Here is plan A. We're going to look at verse 6, all right? Molly, you're going to do a better job than I did. We're going to look at verse 6. It says, and they went through the region of Phrygia (laughs) in Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Plan A was to go to Phrygia and Galatia and to plant churches and to preach the gospel. That was in Asia. That was plan A. But in retrospect, they realize 
or in the midst of it, they realize that, oh, the Holy Spirit is saying, no, not here. It's the Holy Spirit that is closing the door. Not my ability, not my circumstances. It was the person of God closing that door, right? That was plan A. But let's go on to plan B, because if plan A doesn't work out, plan B's got to work out, and plan B's found in verse 7. So what happens is that they went, and when they had come to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia. So if it doesn't work out in Phrygia, let's go to Bithynia and let's plant, gospel, plant the churches and, and raise up leaders. And, but then what happened? The Spirit of Jesus says, no, not here either. It's like, oh, that was our plan B. Not here either. But in processing it, Paul realizes, wait, 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 it's, it's not the people, it's not me, it's not their circumstance. For whatever reason, the Spirit of Jesus, God himself, is saying, not here. Not here either. All right, so what's plan C? Let me get to verse 10. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we, Luke is the writer. He actually comes on board at this point. Immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so what happened was, I get Paul saying, I guess God the Father is saying we need to go to Macedonia, that it's not here in Asia. Let's go to Europe. Most of us were like, oh, yeah, I don't want to go to Asia. Let's go to Europe. That's the call, right? That was, that was Paul's call. Let's go, let's go to Macedonia. And it's interesting, if you, if, you look, if you research the word concluding, it really means that they actually amassed evidence. They amassed evidence, and they, 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 made a, a, they made a decision based off of the evidence that they discovered. They thought through it. They meditated what was going on, and they made their decision based off of that. They concluded that God's plan A is to go to Macedonia, right? So you said, wait, wait, wait. Is all closed doors, are they from God? Whenever you don't get the job opportunity, whenever you don't get the relationship, whenever you don't get the whatever it is that you're looking for, is, does that mean that everything is closed from God? And I don't, I don't know if I can say yes or no to that, but I can say this. Is, job, is God in charge of all closed doors? I don't know. But I know that God is in charge. And the key to finding joy, the, the, the way to understand joy is you've got to understand that God is in charge. What was your plan A what was, that eventually becomes plan C for you? It's usually God's plan A. It's hard to swallow that. But it takes time to process it. You have to get to this point where you can kind of begin to, to discern, okay, all right, it wasn't Phrygia. Phrygia. <laughs> okay, so God, you're telling me it's not that. All right. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. For me, it was in Detroit. Okay, God, I'm okay with that. Go to the next thing. You're thinking, whoa, I sent my resume in. I'm in five rounds of an interview, and you're like, I'm going to get this. And they say, I'm sorry, at this time we filled this position. You're like, ah, but it wasn't plan A, but is it? it went, then it's not plan B either. And you got to be able to say, okay, okay, that was the spirit of Jesus. That was the spirit of Jesus. And working to discern that, working to understand in the circumstance that God is actually doing something, it will turn out for some good. And you get to the point where you feel like, I think, okay, maybe I'm just settling. Maybe I'm just, I'm just kind of like, you know, 
I'm settling for plan C. And I know, girls, that you want plan A guy, and sometimes you feel like you're settling for plan C guy. Like, I, I know sometimes it feels that way, but oftentimes you... I'm terrible at dating advice. I'm married at 19. I will not give you great <laughs> dating advice. But sometimes you get to this point where you're thinking, that was my third option, and you find out that, no, that was the best option that was designed, right? So the way that Paul circumvents traumatic thinking, this is the way he circumvents having the past to dictate the way that he feels about the present, the way that he avoided joy robbery, the way that he moved forward in the midst of what seemed like failure was this. Paul heard from God. God told him to think about his circumstance. Do you hear from God? Do you want to hear from God? Do you even want to hear from God? You want to know what his plans are. Right? For the next three months, um, our church leadership and our body life groups, which are our small groups that meet throughout the week, uh, we're intent on teaching you. We're intent on teaching our church how to hear God through the scriptures, how to process life through the scriptures. Like that, that is our number one focus in the next couple of months. That's our focus for the church, but especially in the next couple of months, is how to walk with you through processing life events through the scriptures, right? So what we want to do is actually um, help you to kind of think through what does it look like whenever a situation comes into my life and what does the Word of God have to say about it? And not just because the Word of God has all of the prescriptions for your life. No, I often think about the Word of God as this, the Bible as this. It's actually the tuning fork. Bing! To help us to get on the same frequency as what God's saying. And so the, 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 the scriptures actually tune our hearts. They tune our ears to hear God. And so we're, we're going to spend that over the next couple of months in our, our body life groups learning how to do that. So I want to encourage you to really uh, plug into one. Um, and so what happens is that if you don't learn how to meditate on the truth of God... You don't let it create a habit in your head, then you're always going to default to that traumatic thinking. So, um, I've read that it takes 21 days to create a neural pathway in your mind. All right, uh, I was reading uh, um, a, 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 a neuroscientist, and uh, this person says, uh, it's, "You guys have heard of the uh, the term neuroplasticity." Anybody? Okay. So neuroplasticity just means that your brain uh, continues to grow, and you can actually grow it. You can actually heal your brain uh, in, in certain cases. And so a couple of decades of research. And so they're saying that actually it takes about 21 days to create a new neural pathway, a thinking pathway in your brain. It actually takes three cycles of 21 days, so about 63 days, to create that neural pathway into what's called a superhighway. And so it becomes a habit, but it takes at least three months for that habit to become something that's a part of you. Does that make sense? It takes three months of really digging in and meditating before you can even make a dent in your worldview. It takes three months of commitment to, to giving your life to something and to really making it a part of your daily routine before you can actually begin to change the way that you think about yourself, the way that you think about the world, the way that you think about God, right? And so that's why a big part of, like, living in community is this. Like, how many of you guys made a New Year's resolution this year? Okay, yeah, I see hands raised, or heads shaking, okay. How many of you guys are doing an A-plus job right now at the New Year? Okay, no, yeah. 
we need to talk to Cora. Cora has the, <laughs> okay. So, um, but a part of community is living in accountability. A part of community is allowing people around you to say, hey, you know, I know that you've got a goal and I know that you're working towards this. Let's work towards it together, right? I'm doing the same thing as you, right? And so um, I want to encourage you guys to, um, I think we have a slide up here. Um, if, you're, if you haven't had a chance to visit any of our, our uh, midweek uh, body life groups, um, you can either uh, indicate on our connection card, we'll send you an email, you can contact Curtis. Curtis, raise your hand right there, nice, nice flannel right there. Uh, and then, or you can go onto our website and you can find um, uh, more information. Um, all of our groups are great and all of our groups are bad. Okay, so just get out of your mind the notion that I'm going to find this perfect community, but get into your head this idea that, man, I'm re- I really want to commit in the next couple of months to changing those, some of the things that, some, some narratives that I've chosen to believe that I need to now shed. I need to stop believing those things, and I want to do it in community. All right, let me show you another picture uh, up here. Um, okay, so <clears throat> this boat up here, represents your lifestyle, all right? So you may choose to have a 16-foot bass boat and be happy with that, all right? Um, Anybody fish? Okay, so you understand what I'm talking about. Um, Or you may choose to have a canoe. Um, So a canoe to me would represent like those refurbished uh, semi uh, truck uh, containers that people choose to live in. Have you seen, you ever seen that, right? So that may be your, your canoe lifestyle. Or you may be the person that I know, a hundred foot yacht minimum, right? But I can tell you, not in this city. <laughs> 1.1 million average home sold? No, you're not going to find that in this city. So you, this belt represents your lifestyle, all right? The water behind it, which is kind of fading, but the water behind it represents life circumstances. And that's out of your control. You can't dictate the conditions of your life. Sometimes it's rocky, sometimes it's stormy, sometimes it's smooth, right? Those are the water conditions outside of your control. The anchor down there represents the truth that you believe. It's what's happening in your head. It's what's, what you really root your life in. It's the anchor. It weighs you down, right? And the chain that connects your boat down into the anchor through the water condition is your trust. And it's you actually building a relationship to that truth. You don't want to root your joy in a boat. Because that, that 100-foot yacht boat could easily become splintered wood in the stormy seas. Does that make sense? If, if joy to you is achieving the 100-foot yacht, or you know maybe you're really hipster, the 500-square-foot uh, organic home that, doesn't, you know, that you can power through a battery, uh, if that's your goal, okay, uh, you may be disappointed because the water conditions can cause the boat to go away. Now, if you root your joy in the water conditions and you're looking for smooth sailing days and you're okay with a canoe as long as it's on the, the, the open seas, then you may face disappointment as well because we live in Toronto. And water freezes in Toronto. <laughs> the water conditions change. Um, 
I went, I went deep sea fishing uh, two summers ago, and the waves were hitting eight, nine feet, which they were saying were normal. I didn't think they were normal because I was puking. Uh, and so water conditions are outside of your control. You have no, if you root joy based on water conditions, you're going to be disappointed. The only thing that you can root your joy in is what you consider to be true. That's the anchor. But you need, to build, you, need to, you need to build that relationship from your lifestyle down through the water conditions, down into that truth. And that's called trust. It's, it's what the Bible calls faith. It's believing. Right? In the Christian faith, the gospel is the anchor. The gospel has the correct worldview, the correct truth. When you trust in Jesus with your life, you're tying your circumstances in your lifestyle to the only anchor that will never drift, that will never fail. What makes the gospel and Christianity so different is this. It says that built into the foundation and the DNA of our truth is this, that every trauma, every um, crazy experience in our life, everything that we've done to other people, everything that other people have done to us, all of those things in Jesus have been anchored to the bottom of the sea. That you don't have to carry that anchor. That Jesus in his own body takes that and he becomes the anchor. He takes it all to the bottom of the sea. And so our only relationship to that is we trust, is we build that relationship with our life. Everything about our lifestyle anchored to the hope that Jesus has taken it all. Right? So in Jesus, and when we talk about Jesus and the cross and when he dies on the cross, what happens is that in the cross, he reframes, he reimagines, he redefines, he redeems every traumatic event in our life. That you can actually go back and think through some things and identify that, no, Jesus was in that moment. He will give you a different way to think about your situation. It's not yours to figure out. I'm, I'm not knocking counseling and therapy, but... There are some very expensive techniques that many people use to try to figure out their life. And there's a part of it, and I'm not just saying pray more, read the Bible more, but there's a part of it in which only God can tell you what the situation was really about. You can't figure it out on your own, right? So it's true that when you trust Jesus, that when one door closes, if Jesus closes one door, that he'll often open up another door, all right? God's plan A gets revealed, Right. So what happens is that Paul gets a vision. It's Macedonia. So he takes his group. He takes Silas, Timothy, and he takes Luke with him. And they end up in the Toronto of Macedonia, Philippi. Philippi was very cosmopolitan, very diverse. And so all different kinds of beliefs. And so that's where they ended up. Um, and so you can actually tell how diverse the city is by the people that Paul reaches the, the, the people that are converted to the message of Jesus in Acts 16. The first is Lydia. She's a businesswoman from Turkey. Right? Very exotic sounding, doesn't it? She deals in purple goods, it says. Right? She's a businesswoman. She's an entrepreneur. She's making it in the cosmopolitan city. The second person um, they reach is a clairvoyant, mentally ill uh, child who is being exploited for money. And they reach her. The third person they reach is a blue-collar public servant, and they reach him. And it's thought that these three personalities are actually the beginnings of what became the early church in Philippi. Such a diverse group of people, and yet they became a community in which God began to build the church in Europe, right? I want to end our time by focusing on Lydia. Because, um, again, we believe in, like, reaching people. We want to help um, use of in house of uh, 
prayer in Milton. We believe in church planning. And I want us to see this, that this morning as we're being generous and as we give towards uh, House of, uh, uh, such a difficult name, House of Prayer Milton. It's actually House of Prayer International Milton. But I just dropped the whole international because it's so hard to say. Um, that I, want to see, I want you to see this, that actually the first church in Europe that was started was through a businesswoman in her home. Isn't that incredible? The first church in Europe ever started was through a businesswoman. And they were meeting in her house. Right? Lydia is described as a dealer of purple goods. Purple dye was a very difficult dye to get. Only the, it was, you know, purple means royal, so only the, the royal uh, in the class and the, uh, the, um, the affluent had access to a purple um, garb. And so she was a dealer in this. So she was sophisticated and she was successful. And apparently she had a large home because she could host a church in her house. And so, but also she was a spiritual seeker, right? She saw God as worthy, but by the time Paul gave her the gospel, she saw God as beautiful. Right? Something happened in her heart. Right? She set her anchor. So she was converted, but not only her, her whole entire family. They all became followers of Jesus. As a matter of fact, it says they all got baptized. There's no indicator that the babies got baptized, but it just says that the whole family, uh, they were baptized. And what is Baptism. Baptism is this. Baptism is saying, I am saying with my body, with what I've already said with my mind and my heart, Jesus, I'm all in. So if you've ever seen a baptism before, you see this person and they get emerged in water and like they come out and they're all soaking and, you know, nothing magical happens. But in baptism, you're saying with my body, I am, I'm agreeing with what my heart and my mind already believes. I am all in with Jesus. I love the way that Luke describes it here in Acts. Um, it says that after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed us. So she's saying, Paul, if you really believe that I'm a believer now, if you really believe that I'm genuine in my faith, come and stay at my house. And Paul's like, God, what are we going to say? Yeah, let's go have church at Lydia's house. Right? She was so adamant. Once you consider the meaning of baptism for Lydia, think about this. She knew God before. It actually says that she was a God worshiper. Perhaps even from childhood, we don't know. But there was a point when God became just worthy of her devotion to the point where it became God was worthy of her whole entire life. And she wanted to signify that with the act of baptism. She simply stated with her body, what she believed now with her heart and her mind. And it was from that woman's heart that God started the first European church. Right? She tied her anchor to the truth of the gospel. Right? If you haven't been baptized, I want to just gently encourage you to consider the meaning of baptism. And if you, some of you have been coming along this spiritual journey for the last couple of months and you feel closer and closer to really saying, yeah, that, that story, the message of the gospel, that's mine. And I think I believe it now and I'm really trusting in Jesus. And, you know, whenever we take communion and you're, you're, you feel the belief in your heart and you know and you're living, that your lifestyle is tied to that anchor, I want you to consider that the act of baptism is making a declaration to everybody, what I believe with my body now. I believe in my heart, in my mind. Right. 
in learning about like trauma and uh, these kinds of things and how it shapes the way that we think, what I realized this is about my own life and going back to my experience about planting a church in Detroit was this, that although it's been seven years and although I sometimes wonder, was I a failure? Was I not a failure? God, what were you doing with that situation? And yeah, I just need to get over it. I just need to get over it. There's no doubt about that. But as I'm kind of processing that, I'm kind of reimagining what that event meant in my life, I realized this, that it's only until I get to the point where I realize that God had another door, another plan A for me, that it's easier for me to let go of those things. I want to challenge you to embrace this next season in your life. Embrace the plan, what you think is your plan A or your plan C. Right. It may mean staying in Toronto for another two years. Oh, God, not Toronto for another two years. It may mean that you got to go to Winnipeg. And you're like, no, God, not Winnipeg, right? It may mean that you have to stay at that job for the next 50 years of your life. But until you embrace it, it's hard to let go. Embrace God's plan A for you. All right? Embrace what you think is plan C, what's actually God's plan A. Let me encourage us to be joy artists. Be joy artists as Paul was. Let me encourage us to be an oasis, a family to people here in Toronto. Let me encourage us to be a community that's on mission, learning to shape our mindset, not based on pop psychology or the latest trends, but on the the unwavering truth of the gospel and God's word. Let me pray for us this morning.